None of the adults are allowed to take the eggs. That means it's not fair for you to take your little kid and say, there's one over there. We'll have none of that. No leading them to the eggs. They simply have to find them on their own. If they end up with an empty basket, well, that's just one of the tough things of life. You know, you just got to get on hard line. We're hard line around here. We will have security out on the fields. <laughs> Undercover, of course. Anyone caught cheating will be immediately removed from the grounds and banished forevermore. But you know, this is a great day. It's a great day to celebrate. Millions around the world are, are celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And in many places... The physical resurrection is going to be defended because there's a lot of opposition to that, even in uh, some uh, realms of theological world. So that's going to be defended. But I'm going to assume this morning that you're here, all of you are here to honor that event that Jesus physically came out of the grave. I'm just going to assume that. But the question that we're going to raise and go after is what does that resurrection mean for our lives? Is it just an event that happened over 2,000 years ago? Or does it mean something? Can it do something for our lives is really the question. And, and to help accomplish this, we need to view the resurrection in its historical context. What did it mean to the first disciples? To those closest to the death, burial, and resurrection, who were right there, who saw everything, what did it mean to them? And from that meaning, hopefully we can find some practical application for our lives as well. But we really need to start, am I not on? Oh. There we go. No, that doesn't work either. There it is. But it's way over there. No, it's got to be right in the center. But anyway, let's go on. We need to start the crucifixion because that's the immediate background to the resurrection. Jesus had spoken to and healed thousands of people. Thousands of people. People would come, especially when he was up in Galilee, would just come from all of the villages around. Keep him up all night sometimes, just healing, taking care of people's needs. He had a large following in the early part of his ministry. But it started to dwindle the closer he got to the cross. Whatever momentum was left was dead when Jesus died. Their leader was gone. All of the aspirations and all of the hopes and all the dreams of the early disciples were crushed 
the great teacher and miracle worker, could not even help himself. And you know, we all recognize, if we're familiar with with the uh, accounts of Jesus dying, there's a huge dark storm. The veil in the temple was torn in two. I mean, it was it was a dark, dark day. And those of us who look back, we say, "Well, that's you know God's, you know, condemnation and confirmation, actually, of the validity of the cross, the storm, and the presence of God." But from the Jewish perspective, and even the disciples, that storm was even more evidence that they were defeated. Because nobody was ever supposed to be crucified on the cross and be blessed by God. There were scriptures about that. Anyone who's hung to a tree is cursed. Jesus was definitely up on some wood. He was being crucified. The storm comes. The blood begins to come off of Jesus in the rain. Dripping down. I mean, it was, it was a gross sight. He had been flogged severely. Spit upon. And now he's dead. The Christian movement came to a screeching halt when Jesus said, it is finished. They took that literally. I guess we are finished. A great try, a great attempt, but it all comes down to death. You know, life is a lot like that, isn't it? The things we once dreamed of, things we once hoped for, things we aspired to become, somehow came to a halt in your life, maybe. Check your experience. Are you happy? You know, that's a good question. Are you happy? Have you fulfilled your dream? Are you in the process of fulfilling your dreams? Are you where you want to be in life? Are you where you thought you would be by this time? Do you have any idea where you're supposed to be? Life can be that way. A lot of times we start off having great dreams and great goals and great things we want to accomplish, but sometimes those aren't fulfilled and we're left with disappointment. Maybe your marriage is just really not what you ever dreamed it would be. When you said, I do, you never thought it could get this ugly. Maybe look back and say, I wish I'd said I don't. (laughs) Getting that ugly. How's Christianity working out for you? Remember the days where you dreamed? It was exciting. Came up out of the water. I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that for God. And I can't wait to share with these people and do this and that. Where did all that go? Where did all that go? What happened? Are the days of inspiration gone? What about your relationships? Have any come to a screeching halt? What once was so good 
It is now so bad. What about your professional life? All your financial dreams? Are those coming to pass? How's the economy treating you? You know, a lot of times we just end up with things that we were part of. We jumped on the bandwagon we were excited about and ended up, they're gone. Dead. And I want us to look at the resurrection, the experience of someone who was there, particularly the Apostle Peter. You know, Peter was a man who had a lot of passion. He was the kind of guy to jump on a bandwagon. He was a guy that was all in, wanted to be all in. He wanted to, to be part of it. He wanted to be great. And he had gotten arguments with the other disciples and apostles about who was the greatest. And I kind of got a feeling Peter was kind of in the middle of that discussion. Because he was one of the closest apostles to Jesus. And in the beginning of Jesus' ministry, imagine someone like Peter, who's a fisherman, close to the ground, He was part of nothing in his life. And then Jesus comes along and calls him. Let me show you life. Let me show you what the kingdom is about. And he begins to teach and to heal. And thousands become healed. And Jesus silences the Jewish leadership in theological debate. I mean, what a privilege to be part of that entourage oh here come the pharisees oh no jesus let them have it and jesus would silence them of course as they were silenced they got more and more bitter what an ego boosting experience yeah i was one of the closest to jesus christ you know what a positivity that would generate in your life. I think I would get up in the morning a little more excited, you know? Yeah, I gotta hurry up and have breakfast. Jesus is coming by. We're gonna be walking around the lake talking a little bit. You know. He probably wants a little input on the kingdom, the working structure, you know. Just to have that sense of purpose and, and greatness where you could even argue. You'd even be tempted to argue who is the greatest. There's got to be an environment underneath you that would motivate you to consider, wow, now we're talking great. But I don't want just great. I want the greatest. That's what was on Peter's mind. Look over Mark. Mark 8. Got a little competition out there. Preacher on the rise. That's what I'm talking about. Bring it on, girl. Is that a girl or a boy? I don't know. Let's look at verse 31. He then began, he, he then began to teach them that the Son of God must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law. 
and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. This is the beginning of when Jesus is, okay, now we're getting serious. Seen the miracles, fed the 5,000, 3,000. We've got, done it all. Now we're going to talk about what this is all about. And he began to teach that he was going to have to die. The good things were coming to an end. Things were getting serious. And amazing how Peter pulls him aside and begins to rebuke him. Now that's pretty gutsy, don't you think? Jesus, let me take you aside here. I know you do. This death talk's got to stop, man. This death, the death talk's not good for, for, for the troops. This is not helping the morale here. Being too negative. Mm, the glass is half full. What's going to happen to me? My greatness and my goals and my wanting to be somebody. If, if you're gone, if you're dead. A lot of times it's funny how we resist the cross. We resist it, it comes. It, it kind of messes up our bubble. You know what I'm saying? Peter's over here in this incredible bubble of greatness. and Boy, he was one of the top guys and he was going to be doing this. He was going to change the world. He's seen some amazing things. It's just absolutely incredible. And now he has to face the reality of the cross. We like to take Christianity for its good side. You know what I'm saying? For all the greatness we can become and the ministry we can have and the people we can influence and all of that. But you've got to recognize that the cross is at the middle of that thing. The cross is what has to be embraced before energy... Any energy from the resurrection can be generated. Now look over at Mark 14. Down in verse 27. Jesus says, you will all fall away. Jesus told them, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I've risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter declared, even if all fall away, I will not. I tell you the truth, Jesus answered today, yes, tonight, before the rooster crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. But Peter insisted emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the others said the same. In other words... Well, if they're going to kill you, you just got to get resolved with that. We're with you all the way. A passion of delusion. <laughs> and sometimes we feel so many things that, that we are so right, that we are so convicted, that we're, our opinions are biblically based. And here Peter has this passion of, no way, man, I'm going all the way with you. 
We're going to take it all the way. We're going to be, we will never, ever disown you. Now look in Mark 14 and verse 66. Follow me. While Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came by. When he saw Peter warming himself, she looked closely at him. You also were with that Nazarene, Jesus, she said. But he denied it. I don't know or understand what you're talking about, he said. And went away to the entryway. I went out into the entryway. When the servant girl saw him there, she said again to those standing around, this fellow is one of them. Again, he denied it. After a little while, those standing there... Or near said to Peter, surely you're one of them, for you are a Galilean. He began to call down curses on himself, and he swore to them, I don't know this man you're talking about. Immediately the rooster, rooster crowed the second time. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows twice, you will disown me three times. And he broke down and wept. Other gospel says he wept bitterly. You know, the cross is always going to bring out the bad side of you. It's always going to bring the sin out. You're going to see that. You've got to be ready to look at that. Peter was a man of great aspiration, great goals, great commitment as we see him serve the Lord after Jesus was resurrected, after he's reinstated. He did great things. But here he had to look at himself first. He had to look at how much of a coward he was and how disloyal he really was. And how afraid he was of dying. How afraid he was of, of fear. After seeing Jesus flogged. The reaction is just too much to bear. And realizing, man, if I affirm that I know him, this could happen to me as well. Just imagine the depth of remorse he felt. After knowing what he had done. Sometimes reality can be a cruel thing. Because when it hits you, it can hit you hard. So many of us have had dreams, great dreams in the past that are now great disappointments. To the point we wish we never had the dream to begin with. Because now all we face is the disappointment of that dream. Look over in John 20 for our last verse. John 20. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running. But the other disciple, and this is John, he always referred to himself in the third person in his gospel. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. You see, Jews had a real, real superstition about death. 
and they're around it a lot because people died early in, in, in that, but they weren't allowed legally, morally, theologically to get close to dead stuff. It, it, it rendered them unclean, rendered them impure. So here John's running to the tomb, he goes, whoa, whoa. Tradition just stopped you. Ah, what's going on? Now notice what Peter does. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb. I mean, he just kind of runs, pushes John aside, and goes right in. In other words, from remorse to exhilaration. He had to put it all together here. But he runs into this tomb. Because sometimes when you make a mistake, or you hurt somebody, or you wound somebody, or you disloyal somebody, you want a second chance, you know? You want another chance to make it right. And sometimes life just piles up disappointment after disappointment after disappointment. And it's, it's overwhelming. We don't know where to turn. Peter was at the end of his rope here. His best friend he denied. But now, because of the empty tomb, he's got a second chance. He doggone right he ran in there. He ran in there and pushed aside. I want part of this. What is going on? Then over in verse uh, 19, you'll see a, Jesus uh, appears to him. It says, um, second sentence there, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his ha hands inside. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Can you imagine? I, I just can't imagine. I'd like to see what Peter looked like when he saw the Lord. He knew he was resurrected. And Jesus looked in the eye with the idea, it's okay. I'm back. And because I'm back, you're going to get back. And later on, we see him reinstating Peter as an apostle even after he had denied him. Maybe it's time in our lives to ignite an old dream. Dream you gave up on. Dream that's haunting you. Maybe it's time to reignite it. See what God can do with the power of the resurrection behind it. Maybe, maybe it's time to ignite a deeper resolve that Relationship resolution. Gosh, almighty relationships are tough. And the closer we get to one another, the tougher it is. That's sometimes domestic violence is the worst. But I think with the power of the resurrection, resolution can be brought to any situation. Maybe it's time to give an extra measure of grace and mercy where you haven't been able to give it before because of the resurrection. Look at the cross. See how sinful you are. How can I hold back my mercy and forgiveness to somebody else? The cross leads you to the resurrection. The cross leads you to the power that can be generated there. Maybe you should reignite a passion for lost souls and ministering to one another. Instead of just coming in and out of doors, really getting on the phone, texting, keeping up with people. How are we doing? What are you studying? Let's pray together. Let's spend time together. You know what I'm saying? Get a passion for that again. 
Easter's a time to turn your doubt to faith. It's a time to turn your faith to action. And it's a time to let your actions reflect the glory and power of God. I leave you with these words. We have one more song, and then we'll conclude our services, and uh, we'll have a great Easter afternoon. Amen. Thank you very much.